Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. Thank you. Take your seats. Thank you. So good to be with you. What a what a property. It's expanding and growing, isn't it? I feel like you're becoming more and more an uncontained church. It's, and uh, God loves that. I, th- I think your rate of expansion will increase. I'm not just talking about numbers, just property and the growth within your souls and the seeking of God and what God gives you and the areas you open up. I saw voltage in there. I thought, mate, I'm 61. I need a bit of voltage. I'm going to go to that. <laughs> and when I ran around with the kids, you had the CPR person there ready to give me a quick start. <laughs> so good to be with you. Um, we had just this week uh, where we gather all our senior pastors that we've sent out um, and wives came to it. We had about 23 people there, if you couldn't make it from overseas. But um, I noticed Greg's maturity is growing and growing within that group and the way he speaks in and, and leads within that as well. And uh, it's just great, the, the healthy place that Greg and Robin are coming to. So thank you for supporting them and what you're doing. Um, if I had to pick someone to train all the youth pastors in the Hunter now, it would be, it'd be Chrissy Clum. And uh, the state have already acknowledged that and appointed him the district leader. It's great. So you, you've got the best youth leader in the Hunter. That's fantastic. Well done. I'm just, he's just such a good guy. 52. For us to get 52 saved, so we'd have to have about 10,000 people there. How many did you have? Uh, a bit over 180. It's amazing. And 52, that's just incredible. I was just blown away by that. And I've observed a few people that I want to be like when I grow up. I want to dance like Toby. <laughs> And I want to play drums like Riley. Hey, how cool was Riley? So good. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've got Ralph with me today. He's been an elder with me for around 20 years now. He's just an awesome man. I just want to, to acknowledge the strength he's been to me. We hit this thing about 15 years ago where I panicked too much and I'd get really anxious about church stuff because the church was growing way beyond what I could handle. And we kind of made this deal. I said, um, I won't panic as long as you tell me when I have to panic. Um, I haven't panicked since we came close once when our building program wasn't working out. And I said, do I need to panic yet? He goes, I'm not sure. I'll let you know tomorrow anyway. We didn't panic, but he gets me through things. Um, Sometimes he pulls me in the line. Um, You can't just have people on your board that are nice to you all the time. You've got to have people that that can speak in and you're allowed to speak in. uh, And it's very good. And I've observed this. In board meetings when we're resolving tough issues... Ralph won't always be, oh, we'll just do what Mark wants, just do what Mark wants. He, he will sometimes oppose and talk things through, and he can be tough on me in board meetings, and yet, when he speaks up, people listen. Because it's not just, he just wants the pastor to get his way. They, they, at that level, it has to be very real, and you have to be able to talk things through. And there's this just tremendous respect that my people have for him um, and the way he processes things. So thanks, mate. I appreciate what you are to us. All right. Uh, I want to... Preach to you today. The message is called We All Fall Short. It sounds like a bad news message, but it's a good news message. Because when God says that in Scripture, and I'll read it to you in a minute, uh, we all fall short. You, you think you're just about to get beaten up, try harder. But I've watched try harder messages. Years in churches burn people out. And I thought, 
the gospel's good news. And so let's just have a look at how we all fall short and how God uses that to help us. I thought of this story the Holy Spirit just quickened to me when I came in. There's an old Indian fable about uh, an old donkey who fell into the pit, which was the town rubbish dump. And he was so old, no one worried about digging him back out again. They said, oh, he's due to die and he's no use to anyone else. We'll leave him in there. And as the people would come and throw their rubbish and their scraps in the pit, it would fall on him in and he'd shake it off and stand on top of it and he found enough scraps to eat. And he did this for about two years till eventually the pit filled up and he just walked out and went on with his life. And I thought, it's so true of that, that sometimes in life when everything seems to be going wrong and no one's believing in you except God and yourself, that you just got to learn and develop that skill of how to shake all that um, rubbish off and stand on top of it until it starts to work for you. When we go through pain, there's an interesting scripture that says, uh, he who has suffered has ceased from sin. And I'm developing my pain theology as I get older. But I realise God has an incredible ability to use pain to help us and put us on top of things. Uh, so let me just read to you from scripture and then, we'll, then we'll, I'll teach you some stuff. We're looking at Romans uh, chapter 3 and we'll read from verse 20 to verse 24 if you want to follow on or you can just sit there and listen. Before I read it, let let me just say this. Um, I've got this great quote, you are not defined by your past, you are prepared by your past. That's the way the kingdom works, it's the opposite to the world. The world defines us by our past. But God so uses the hassles we've been through that he prepares us for our future by the difficulties we've been through. In a sense, in the kingdom, your pain becomes your pulpit, not when you're in the middle of it, but when you've come through the other side of something, it qualifies you to help people in an area. For instance, if I go through a divorce, I want to find a person who's been through divorce and come out the other side, and I want to go and talk to them and find out what keys they've left. That's going to help me so that they've got a ministry to me. Or if I lose a loved one, I want to find someone who's lost a loved one and come out the other side, knowing they'll understand and I can go to them and get good wisdom and good counsel. And, and so it's a bit like that in your pain becomes your pulpit. So let's read from Romans 3, verse 20. Uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are and our need for God. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets. Uh, Sorry, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets. Yes, long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So there's un, it's unqualified. There's no qualifications to add to it. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares, that's grace when you get undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. One of the amazing things about the Bible is that it doesn't hide great men's mistakes. I could probably get you to call out, you know, famous people from the Bible and I could tell you where their weakness was. More important, I could tell you where their strength was. But even, let's just take one, I I could just list a lot. Let's just take one that Jesus spoke very highly about, John the Baptist. 
Jesus said of John the Baptist, of men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And yet, fortunately for us, the Bible speaks truth. When John the Baptist was in prison and about to be beheaded, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? This is an unusual question, considering that they're cousins, considering that John's ministry has mainly been made up of preparing the way for Jesus. He knew the whole deal, and yet, in his own doubt of facing death, of thinking, God, are you real? Why am I going through this? He would have felt, you know, on the TV, in our day and age, this is weird, you know, this has only come about in the last five years, we see people that are about to be beheaded on the TV. And the terrible, you know, despair and what they must feel inside, dressed in those orange suits as they're mar- marched off to be beheaded with a blunt knife, how must they feel? Well, John the Baptist was in prison. He felt like those guys feel, and the greatest man born of women has his moment of doubt. It's not sin, it's just doubt. It's human to work through stuff and have low moments. I was even saying to Ralph on the way up in the car, Ralph, why is it? I'm 61 and I still need God every day. You'd think, you know, I'd be sort of have my peace figured out now and just be walking around really confident and peaceful and yet I still need God every day. In fact, I realise I need him more than I ever did and what does the scripture say? The scripture says, I must decrease, he must increase. And so I'm finding as I get older and wiser and understand more of God that I need him more than I ever did. Don't. But it's a good thing. My flesh battles my spirit on it. But it's a good thing to wake up in the morning and if you feel anxiety or confusion or despair or doubt or negative emotion, that you go and have your prayer time. You go, I need you. I need my daily bread for the day. And you sort of re-anchor and he sets you again and you get your peace back. Okay. Life wasn't designed to be easy. Um, Even in heaven that had a perfect atmosphere, a third fell from a perfect environment. In the Garden of Eden, which was perfect, man still blew it. And it's almost like, if I summed it up, it's like God then sends us into the realm of the earth that's broken and fallen and said, while you're on the earth, your life will see that you have a taste of heaven and a taste of hell, a taste of Jesus Christ and a taste of Satan. And you choose which you prefer. Um, I'll finish the message today with this, that the kingdom works different from the world. You find with with drug addicts and things like that and and the realm of sin, what the enemy offers you, he offers you the pleasure first and then comes the cost. In the kingdom of God, the cost comes first and the pain and the suffering, then comes the glory. Um, God feasts his children differently to to how Satan feasts his children. That's an important thing to understand as I just as I preach this morning. Uh, I've got three points. But the first one is don't take the false identities of the world off us, and I'll tell you what they are. But when I prayed about today, Holy Spirit told me really clearly to share this with you. Uh, I was preaching in our church last week on the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament, um, apart from Jesus. Um, uh, he, he does this thing. So Stephen, you know how he makes the long speech before he gets stoned and it stirs them all up? They, the Jewish leaders had this thing. They were so big on the patriarchs and their heritage that their heritage was a bondage to them in following God and, and accepting Jesus. 
And so he teaches on the patriarchs and uh, there's three main ones. You know, he does Abraham, Moses and David as the big three. But he shows their strength and their weakness, which is what I was just saying about the Bible. And it so freaks them out that they end up stoning him to death. One of the things I mentioned in it, and a lady in my church with a child with a brain tumour was listening to this, was about Abraham. I can use handheld if you want, or just you just boss me around. It's fine. I don't mind. Um, uh, you know how God says, "Sacrifice your son." Don't have to. So I can just see that he's one of the few Old Testament characters that completely gets what it is for a father to give up his son for other people, which is what the Father in heaven did. We, we're big on understanding Jesus' suffering, Jesus' suffering. I don't think we've got a clue on how much the Father suffered in allowing his son to go through that and how much love that took. But it brought me to this thing of uh, when we dedicate our children to God, we think it's a nice thing, but we really, really do have to trust God with our kids. And it's really hard as a parent as your kids go through stuff. And I pray this prayer sometimes and God rebukes me for it. God, don't let my kids have any suffering. Let nothing go wrong. Help them get everything they want and everything to go right and everyone to treat them well. And Because why are you praying that? That's the recipe for a spoilt child that will never know how to follow me or love me. And this lady was sitting there. Her daughter has a brain tumour. I think her daughter's about eight or nine now and is starting to become disabled down one side of her body through it. And she just said that morning, she said, it really helped me, that message, Mark. And that morning... She'd read in a daily devotional, it's called Jesus Calling Devotional. On August 23, it says this. I, I, so I'm just going to read it, I won't teach on it, but it kind of challenged me. Hey, entrust your loved ones to me, so God is speaking. Release them into my protective care. They are safer with me than in your clinging hands. If you allow a loved one to become an idol in your heart, you endanger them and yourself. I used an extreme measure to free Abraham of son worship with Isaac. They both suffered because of Abraham's undisciplined emotions and the fruit of that which was Ishmael. Because remember, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. I detest idolatry even in the form of parental love. And I thought, whoa. I haven't digested all that yet, but in my prayer time at the moment, I'm challenged by that and I'm just trying to make sure that I'm loving my family in the right way, in the right order, that God's still first, but I'm still loving them with unconditional love, but not idolising, so that everything that happens to them is whether I feel good or bad. Do you, you realise that how that can become an idol? How We've got to control our own emotions and lead ourselves, otherwise we're no help to anybody. Anyway, it's just told me to share that this morning. It doesn't even fit into the message, so I won't try and make it. I'll just let it be what it is. Okay, first point. Don't take the false identities that the world offers you. So three big identities that the enemy or the world will offer you. The first one is, I am what I do. It'll be like me saying, I'm a senior pastor, so I'm okay. I'm a senior pastor, so I should get favour. I'm a senior pastor, so God has to bless me. Rubbish. That's, I am what I do. I'm just Mark, a son of God, and we work on that together. The second one is, I am what I own. Um, by the way, I won't do it this morning, but these relate to Jesus' three temptations in the wilderness. Just by the way, if you want to study that, if you're kind of good at the word, you can look at that. So, second one is, I am what I own. You know how God wants to give us stuff? 
that's fine. I'm going to just turn that one off and I'll, I'll, I'll leave. I am what I own. So it's important. God wants to bless us with stuff, but we've got to own it. It's not got to own us. So if I get everything I want, well, I haven't got time to go to church anymore or be a pastor because I'm too busy looking after all the stuff God's given me. So blessing's good just as long as it doesn't own you. And some people can handle more stuff than others can. And what if he takes something from you? Is it, well, I'm not following you now because you took one of my things away. So if it's like that for you, then you'll know that that's become an idol to you. Um, the third thing is, I am who others say I am. So teenagers would know this. Chris would know this from leading youth. others say about them. That will, that will sometimes define them and make them feel. Someone says you're overweight, you get it, so they get an eating disorder. Someone says you're too this, so they'll sleep with someone. You're too pure, okay, well I'll sleep with someone. Like it just, it can be so destructive when we take on those identities and they're things, like I said before, that the enemy offers us that at first make us feel better. But um, if they become our identity, then we're in trouble. Second point. Becoming yourself and who God's created you to be is a bit of a deal. God creates beautiful things and he spends your life trying to draw out the good stuff that he's put in there. That's why when we encourage each other and don't put each other down, it tends to draw out what's good. I enjoyed Hannah's worship leading so much today. Where's Hannah? She's there. I just felt to say to you too, I had a word for you, that your name was mentioned in heaven this morning because you were seeking first the kingdom and... I felt the Holy Spirit show me that you'd laid something that you wanted for yourself aside so you could take us there in your anointing and in worship leading this morning. And God saw that and your name was mentioned and something's been released to bring that need or desire to you. So, you know, in the weeks and months ahead, there will be breakthrough in the area that's important to you. Okay, becoming yourself. Um, we've discovered this thing. There's a good teaching going around the world at the moment through a guy named Peter Scazzaro on emotional health and how if we don't deal with some of the emotional areas of our heart, then we're quite littered spiritually because a lot of people think they can be really spiritual yet still chuck tantrums all the time and then everything's okay. But most of us have some weak emotional areas. Everyone has some weak emotional areas. I might be a 61-year-old in a lot of areas, but I could be a 10-year-old in whatever it is that makes me chuck a tantrum. So let me just tell you some of the areas that God will be working on in your life, whether you like it or not. Knowing your feelings, but not being overwhelmed or dominated by them. Um, To help you refrain from blaming others for everything when you're frustrated allowing people to have different views to you and still being able to stay connected to them instead of putting them down for being different. To stop rescuing others, especially those who wear you out. And to don't do for others what they can do for themselves. As the world buffets you with its reactions and overreactions, can you stay true to yourself? I'm a classic for, my dad's 96 and he's just gone into aged care and I was really... I do have this weakness. I do this thing. You know in the Sunday paper how they have like disease of the week and you read the symptoms? I'm like the guy who thinks, I think I've got that. Um, And I'm reading this thing on dementia for my dad. You know, it's got 14 things that dementia people struggle with and how to to help them. And I'm saying to my wife, I've got eight of these. (laughs) I'm a shocker like that. So obviously I've got 
some more, need more emotional health in that area. But God will be God works on you all, even when you're getting away with stuff. Nah, it'll bite you eventually. See what happens is we don't change until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. How many times have we been cornered by that, eh? So pain sometimes can be a friend, eh? Because it takes you onto better ground. Uh, so let me just help you with the whole life wasn't meant to be easy thing. Because in Christianity, I started out thinking, great, I'm saved. God's for me. I heard, you know, the blessings and the grace and stuff. I thought, great. I'll never have another problem. I'll never sin again. Nothing will ever go wrong. God will just follow me around, living to my agenda like a kind of secretary Santa Claus person. You know, I didn't realize that it's, no, he's probably going to kill me, you know, take my flesh away, circumcise the flesh and teach me how to walk after the spirit, which means I have to have a lot of trials to learn how to do that. Whoa. I'll help you, Mark. Here's a trial. Oh, and, and it can be so shallow Christianity sometimes that God's just got to follow us around living our agenda or we get cranky with him. So here's three advantages of life not being easy. The pressure exposes our weakness and our need for God. That's why in that scripture I read out, it, it said the purpose of the law is to convince us that we need God really because you fall short. The second thing is the pressure motivates us to grow um, can't read my own writing. Pain of stones. Oh, no, I've already said that. So the pressure motivates us to grow. The good thing about growing is uh, things that used to be difficult aren't difficult anymore. Things, you know how when you first get married, it's just a bit of a deal to lose your freedom and learn how to combine life with another person. Then you have your first child and it's really difficult because someone keeps you up at night and you're lacking sleep and there's all this stuff to do and instead of just carrying your surfboard at the beach under your arm, you've got a stroller and a bouncer and an umbrella and all this stuff. You can't even carry your surfboard um, or you're too exhausted to go back to the car and get it. Uh, but you've still got the advantage. You can take it in turns. If you're a you know, two-parent family, you go, okay, you take the baby, okay, I'll have a rest. Then you have your second child and you've both got one kid the whole time. Then you have your third, and it's now impossible because you both got one kid the whole time and there's still another one. But what is that doing? It's gradually taking away your selfishness so that when you go to church, you go, oh, this is so good, I've got my whole family around me. Lord, help them live in the house next door for the rest of our lives. And you get this thing, you really like that. But the journey didn't look like that, but all of a sudden we love it. That was God blessing us. Whoa. That's weird, eh? But you're a lot happier and you're a lot more contented. Um, I heard someone say the other day, in our 20s we kind of worry about, you know, up till 20 you worry about what everyone's saying about you. From 20 to 40 you don't care what anyone's saying about you and from 40 to 60 you realised no one was even the slightest bit interested in you in the first place. <laughs> So here's three things to, to measure your success by because, you know, all that other stuff is wrong. Let me give you some positives. Um, a good measure of success is, number one, what you overcome in life to follow God. Some of you deserve credit and a pat on the back and encouragement because just to get to church today was an incredible victory. You had to overcome stuff. The second thing, the quality of your relationships. If you have some good relationships... It's really good because that's a measure of success, how you relate and how you connect. And the third thing is 
the other people that you lifted up and encouraged and inspired along the way. They're, they're good measures of success. Okay, let's finish off. What time do you want me to finish? I don't think I'll get to... I don't think I'll make 11.30. I always like finishing early though because it's good to leave people wanting more instead of boring them to death. <laughs> Where's this guy going to finish? Um... Okay, let, let me just go here. Yeah, okay. It doesn't sound like it fits, but I'll pull it in. You know, in the Bible, there's the dude that was born blind and Jesus heals him, but the disciples ask this question. This exposes a big danger in Western Christianity. They say to him, Jesus, who sinned that this guy was born blind? Um. I think for all of us, you would know, if you've been through anything, one of your pet hates and mine, where it's really hard not to punch someone, is when you go through something that's not your fault, that just comes on you as a trial, and they go, oh, you must have sin in your life. Or I've seen some of the most horrible things in churches where someone's lost a loved one and someone said, oh, you must have sin in your life. Listen, I would deck them myself if I heard them say it. I just go, tell them where to go. Um, it's, it's just a horrible thing that some Christians think is some kind of discernment or something. It's stupid. And Jesus puts that down right here in this story because he said, no one sinned that this boy was born blind. This happened so that the, glo- that the glory of God might be displayed through him. And so it is with your trials. It's not like sometimes sin does bring trials on us. We all know that. We figure that bit out. That's, you know, that's kind of baby food. But... Stuff comes and you coming through it by walking with God brings glory to God and is able to help other people and then it brings more glory to God and it builds the kingdom. It's just a really important principle that Jesus taught through that. I, I think with the boy, I was talking to my youngest daughter about it this morning. She was in pain with something and um, we were just talking about this a bit. So you've got to validate the pain. You don't, but, but it's like, wow, what must it be like to be blind? So God, that guy suffered unfairly so that at some stage in life God would be able to use him like what's where's our level of trust at are we able to go through something that is unfair because it'll bring glory to God whoa that's quite a challenge um but it's good when you get there we were (laughs) we were laughing her and I because there's this episode in Seinfeld I've got a small discoloration on my face right so George Costanza has this small discoloration um, and sensitive people like my daughter and I who are, you're high in mercy, so you're very open to other people's pain and you can feel their pain, but it means you, <laughs> you go up and down a bit. So someone says to George Costanza, you've got this slight discoloration on your face. He goes, cancer? Is it cancer? And sensitive people do this thing. You go to the extreme end of things and you think, that's going to be the worst thing that can happen. Like the clouds come over and my wife thinks, great, a storm's coming. I'll go out in the bush, I'll experience the rain, I'll watch the lightning and I'm thinking, no, we're all going to be washed away. It's Noah's flood, look out, you know. And we were just laughing at ourselves going, cancer, is it cancer? Uh, so we have that thing. Sometimes we get way too affected, you know, by what could happen and, and then it never happens. So watch this. Um, I'm just trying to remember whose quote this is. Uh, the guy who wrote Grace, Philip Yancey. He talks about a time in his Christian life where he moved from immaturity to being more mature. And this is what he sums it up with. He said, I came to the place where I could say this. 
I used to say my pain and what I'm going through proves God's absence. He said, now I've come to the place where I can say my pain expands God's purpose. Even when my mum was dying of cancer, I remember her saying to me, I don't mind going through this as long as it can help someone else. It just Sometimes if you know there's some people, if you know there's purpose in it, you can go through stuff. Um, someone else says, God's presence banishes meaninglessness and reveals a design never before conceived. It's like that blind boy that Jesus healed. Um, and I'll finish with this plus a few quotes. Uh, Eagles understand the principles. Eagles are referred to a lot in the Bible, and I kayak and fish on Lake Macquarie a lot in my in my kayak. And I, there's this sea eagle that lives at Green Point, and I don't know if he's attracted to the colour of a boat or something. But when I see an eagle, I just kind of know God's with me. And we saw one today, Ralph, and we on the way up. Ralph goes, "Look, the eagle." But this particular eagle, when I fish at Green Point, if he's there. He always swoops down within, like it feels like 12 feet, but it's probably 30 or 40 because his wings are so wide. And he checks me out. And I know he's not attacking me because I used to think, I'm getting attacked by an eagle. It's like God going, no, I'm trying to bless you. Just look. You know? <laughs> he looks peaceful. Um, takes his hat off with me talons. No. But, you know, he swoops now and I look and I go, oh, God, you're there. This is fantastic. You know that creation thing? We see God in creation. And I just love it. But I've, I've, you know, I love studying about eagles. Um, what they've learnt that most of us lack is that the storm provides the thrust beneath their wings. They're the only bird that flies above the storm to cope with it. But it uses the thrust of the storm as its updraft, as the thing that takes it higher. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you as a Christian that it's actually po- possible to do that when you're going through something, yes, it makes you depressed. Yes, it brings you down. But then when you get in your prayer, you go, God, thanks for the resistance because it, it lets me fly. I used to do a lot of athletics when I was younger and I mainly did sprints and middle distance, but I was doing some hurdles once because when you, as you get older and worse at things, if you pick a harder event that aren't many people in, you can usually do better at it, you know. And so I took the hurdles up. It was a killer because I was way too short. But this professional guy was training me and he was just teaching me to think differently. He was teaching me to think this. Every hurdle you go over in training makes the race easier. And I remember the famous athlete Michael Johnson who's you know, won lots and lots of gold medals in 100 and 200. I think, I, I forget what his record was, but he was like the only guy ever to win 200 and 400 in three consecutive Olympics or something. Anyway, they interviewed him after winning one of his gold medals that broke some record. And they say, you, you look so effortless in the 400, which has the most lactic acid of any race. And he said, the reason it looks effortless because what I do in training is way harder than what I do on the track. And it's a bit like that when you see someone lead or do something. It's not like, hasn't God blessed them and they got it easy? You think, wow, they must have been through a lot of crap and had a great attitude to get to the place where they can lead so graciously and so gratefully and you can feel the anointing of God on them. Because it's, it's what you go through behind the scenes that uh, that's what does it. I think often that's where anointing comes from. I had this quote, uh, the biggest impression you leave is not what you do in the good times, it's how you respond in the difficult times that determines your legacy. Beautiful, hey? Let me go out with this. 
Your future is going to be better than your memories, no matter how old you are, because that's how God's designed the kingdom. Jesus taught us he saves the best wine to last. My dad's 96. Heaven's next. How good's that going to be? He's been trying to survive at home, you know, with help coming in and doing all that. It's been such a struggle. Didn't want to go to the old people's home. Now he's in there. He loves it. He's got company. Someone does the cooking. He doesn't worry about anything. Keeps telling me how fantastic it is. Just every stage, every age, the best wine is still yet to come. You can believe that. And and God will surprise you with some of the things that he has for you. Let's pray. So, Father... We commit ourselves to you. We thank you. Trust is always an issue for all of us. None of us ever trust as much as we should. But today, we want to take a step forward in our level of trust. So we just give to you now the things that are worrying us and scaring us. The things where we feel like John the Baptist and we feel threatened. We give it to you. We, Like the woman that Greg mentioned this morning with the issue of blood, we just close our eyes, we reach out and grab the hem of your garment and say thank you for helping us. We are going to be okay. You do have consolations for us where we've had loss. You will bring us to a better place. And that's the thing we can look forward to in age, that we can grow and come to a better, better place with more and more contentment and peace and love and ability to help people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.